Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Kerr here, Homestead Community Church. Um, once again, uh, we ran into a computer glitch with our recording on Sunday. So I am here in an empty room right now uh, preaching to you, the online listening audience. So uh, I was thinking of um, possibly doing this and pretending it was Sunday morning at church. Um, pretending I was talking to the live audience so that nobody would know that there was a recording error and nobody would know that I was re-preaching re this on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, but that felt a little weird to me. I uh, wasn't sure how long I would need to pause for laughter. And then I thought well, I could bring in like a laugh track, like those 80s sitcom television shows. And uh, I was heading down that road and then it all just seemed like a lot of unnecessary work. So we're just going to do this. I'm going to keep it real honest with you. I am here talking to an empty room. Hopefully you are there listening on your listening device. We are starting a new series at Homestead over the next few weeks, and that series is on giving. The series is called Give, and we're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about money and being a generous person, how we can honor God and be generous with our finances. Um, now, I know by saying that, some of you may be a little bit more skeptical when it comes to churches and money. You might have this thought of, well, I knew, I knew the other shoe was going to drop eventually. Um, finally, Homestead is showing their true colors, and yes, they're just, they just want my money. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, have you ever been like in a, I was thinking about this this week, you, you have, maybe have a friend or someone you know who contacts you and say, hey, I'd love to take you out for dinner. And you naively think, this is just dinner, or this is just a cup of coffee. But about halfway through your conversation, you hear those words, a new business opportunity. Or um, here's, here's something I would love for you to look at, and if you wanted to purchase some. Um, or like a word like downline. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, this is like multi-level marketing. Um, I thought I was just going out for dinner, but it turns out he just is looking for my money. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've definitely been there. I say that to say that maybe some of you um, listening to this maybe feel that way, that, well, it was just a matter of time before uh, the pastor of the church started talking about money because typically churches just want money. So I want to talk today about that and assure you that that's not the case today. But I know that in a church environment, or if you're listening to this, if you've had any experience with churches, bringing up the topic of money typically causes some people to put up their defenses a little bit. And I think there's a couple reasons for this. First of all, churches have, in the past, uh, misused finances. There has been stories. Maybe you were a part of a church and you realized, man, they are spending their money in, in, in ways that you didn't agree with. Or maybe it was something you saw in the news of a, of a pastor who maybe got into more trouble for misusing church finances. We can all name a story of a church that has misused money. Or have given, or a church that has given you the impression that they were all about the money, always asking, giving you guilt trips, um, always, you know, the the half an hour sermon that happens every week before the offering, those sorts of things. You know, they pass the offering plates and then they count it and they say, well, that's well, that wasn't good enough. They're going to pass these plates again. Um, I'm just joking on that last one. I th I think I, I, there may have been some stories of a church that. I did that that I heard. But that's one reason people get defensive about talking about money in church is because we have seen churches that have misused finances. 
Um, the other reason that people get defensive when you start talking about money is that people really like their money. People are very connected and protective of their money. You know, at church, at Homestead, I joked with the congregation on Sunday, they, the, these families showed up to church and they checked their kids into kids' ministry, and the kids went upstairs to this kids' classroom. I bet some of those parents had never seen that kids' classroom. They don't know what their kids are being taught. It's all good, but they don't know that. They're, they're somehow fine. You know what? Take my kids for an hour. You know, you're fine handing over your, your kids to the church for an hour, but don't you dare talk to me about my money. That is something that's, <laughs> you know, really, truly important to me. You're like... Um, you're like our dog, Buster. We have two dogs in our house now. Buster is an 11-year-old beagle, and we now have a new puppy named Millie, a lab. I don't know how we ended up with two dogs, um, but poor decision-making was, was part of the process. Um, but Buster, the 11-year-old dog, is a very nice dog, friendly with everybody, and, and unless it's nighttime when he gets his special treat. We give him a treat every night. And if he's chewing on that treat and you kind of come near him just to pet him, he thinks you're after his treat. So he'll give you a little growl as if to say, this is mine. Don't you dare come near it. Um, some of you are that way about your money. You're fine with everything else. But as soon as someone starts talking about your money, then you are a little bit more defensive. So I wanted to take the next three weeks and talk about giving, talking about finances. Because giving involves more than money. Giving involves the heart. Being a generous person involves the heart. It can involve your time or your abilities. But specifically, the main theme we're going to be talking about is finances. How God views money. And how you and I can live free from the control of money. So, some of you who are listening may not be a part of Homestead Church. And uh, so, you'll just have to kind of bear with me as I go through these next couple of things. And if you are a member of Homestead, since we've never done a series on giving, I wanted to give just a few minutes a little bit of information about our church. Um, Homestead Church, we are a part of the denomination called the Assemblies of God. And uh, we are an autonomous church, which means we are separate. We, don't, we are under the accountability, kind of the umbrella of accountability for the Assemblies of God. We have a district office, district officials. Um, our superintendent really serves as my authority and my pastor. But there is not a denomination that is stepping in like an overseer saying, well, you have to do this and you have to do this. We are independent in that regard. As well, financially, we do not have a denomination that will provide funding for different things. Um, we are an independent church. So how we support the church, Homestead Church, financially is the money that our congregation gives. Um, typically, you know, they'll give it in the offering when we pass the buckets on Sunday. Actually, more people in our church will give online. And we have a way through our website, homesteadcommunitychurch.org, if you would like to make a contribution to our church. Or a lot of people will use their banking online bill pay, which is what I do. Um, when I give to a church or donate money. Um, but, um, so there's a lot of different ways to do it, but we are self-supporting. We don't have, a, a, you know, boosters or a big pot of money somewhere at the district office that we can just go dip into once a month when we need it. So that's why we take up collections on Sunday. That's why we um, ask people to support the church financially. Um, we have... Uh, 
we have a lady in our church named Debbie who manages the finances of our church. She pays the bills. She handles the deposits. There are other leaders, including myself, who have eyes on all the finances. We want to have accountability. We don't have any just one person managing all the, all the money. We have a church board made up of pastors and leaders from the Minnesota District of the Assemblies of God. And one of our goals for this year is to become, you know, fully onto autonomous in that we will have our own board. Um, we will have our own board and church members from within Homestead Church. But part of being a church plant is that you start out with a board. Um, as a nonprofit, we have to have a board. And so we start out with a board of people, other pastors from the Assemblies of God around Minnesota. Um, we, when the offering is counted at church, it's never handled by just one person. We always have two or more people in there counting, for, again, for accountability. Um, if you give a gift to Homestead Church, it is tax deductible. You will get a giving statement uh, for tax purposes. Um, so I say all this to say your giving is what keeps Homestead moving forward. Um, and the other thing I, I say this to say is that I take very seriously how we spend and handle God's money. In fact, I think the biggest help for me as the pastor in having the right attitude towards how I handle the church's money is realizing that it is God's money. This is God's money. And I am going to do my best to handle it well and to be good stewards of it. Uh, in fact, um, for personal finances, for you and your finances, it would be a pretty good idea for you to have that same mentality. You might think it's all your money. It's God's money. God has blessed you with those resources. And so as soon as you kind of make that shift to, this is not my money, this is God's money, how does he ask me to steward it? That's a great first step in learning how to manage personal finances. But as a church, we are operating in the black. We finished 2016 in the black. We pay rent to the Methodist building that we use on Sundays and throughout the week. We pay for kids' ministry and youth ministry, community outreaches. We serve donuts and coffee on Sunday mornings. Um, those are the important things, and the church pays for, pays for that. We pay salaries for our staff members. We have two part-time people on the payroll. Um, Steve Maxwell is our youth pastor, and Linnea Evans is our kids' director, and we pay them part-time. It's very part-time. And then, yes, my salary is also included that Homestead pays um, from the support financially that people give to the church. So right away, that right there is a huge potential conflict of interest. You might be thinking that listening to that. Well, sure, here's, here's me talking to you, some of you, the people who support Homestead Church financially, um, and that support goes to pay my salary. There's a huge conflict of interest there. So I'm just assuring you that I am not doing this series today, or will I ever preach about money and stewardship out of a way, out of a motivation to get more money from the church. Now, there's going to be times where I present a need, like a, a project in the community or a missions need, and we're going to, and we're going to, present that need and ask people to fund that project. But this is, um, this is not about me trying to get more money for the church. This is about me having all of us as God's people check our hearts in how we handle finances. The church, even, is not trying to get more of your, more of your money. So if you're listening to this and your defenses are way high, um, 
then you got to just understand, we're not trying to get your money. God does not need your money. God invented money. God can provide in any sorts of ways. He is God. What we're doing this for, this series of teaching, is because this. God wants your heart. And the more suspicious you are about churches that all they want is your money, well, I think the more that you need to hear what I'm about to say over the next few minutes. God wants your heart. God wants all of us to grow. I've said this before a number of times at church. God is building in us a strong faith, what it means to be a follower of his, a child of his, to have a foundation of faith, and to have our hearts and our lives changed as he roots out different areas of sin and bad habits and all these things, and he makes us more in his image, and we follow him, and we learn to be more like him. We're never going to be perfect, but that's the journey we are on trying to have our hearts more and more committed to him. Well, you want to know what the best way to find out where somebody's heart is? Well, you find out where they're spending their money. You follow the money. You can find out from somebody right away, are they a generous person? Are they selfish? Are they fearful? Are they irresponsible? Are they prideful in their financial status? Are they self-centered and untrusting? Where you, if you want to find out where someone's heart is, you find out where their money is. Because in Matthew chapter 6, it says this verse, and maybe you are familiar with this. It says this in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, where your finances are, your heart is going to be there also. I love the message translation of that same verse. It says this, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Actually, wait. Uh, No, that's not the message translation. That was uh, Notorious B.I.G. from his hit song, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Sorry, I often get that confused with the message translation. Um, if If you were to look at what God wanted to communicate to his people in the Bible... You, you would say, okay, well, what's important to God for his people to learn? And you would think, well, prayer. Prayer is important. And you would be right. And you look through scripture, and there are over 500 verses in the Bible on prayer. You would think, well, faith. Faith is important. Yes, faith is important. There are over 500 verses on faith in the Bible. Did you know that there are over 2,000 verses on money and finances? And I think that's because God knows there's a connection between money and our heart. Where our heart is, is often following where our treasure is. If I wanted to know about you, what's important to you, if I wanted to know what was important to you, I would look at where are you spending your money, and I'd look at your calendar. Where are you spending your time and your money? And I could look at those two things, and I would say, well, these are all the things that are important to them, because this is where they're spending their time, and this is where they're putting their money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God knows that there is a connection between money and our heart. And that is why I believe God created this idea of giving. Giving. And I'm talking like giving financially. Giving to the kingdom. Giving to a local church. Why did he do that? And you might think, well, God invented giving because he wanted his kingdom endeavors to move forward in the world. Um, or he wanted, you know, pastors to be able to support their families and, and, and have a living. Um, 
And those are all important things. But that's not why God created giving. God can provide for me and my family in any number of ways. God's kingdom work throughout the world is going to move forward whether or not you put anything in the collection plate on Sunday. God created giving for our hearts. God created giving to root out selfishness of our lives. God created this this, uh, pattern of giving that he asked his people to do so that our selfish hearts could learn how to be generous and could learn how to be devoted and trusting of God. God knows that we are born selfish and that needs to be rooted out. You don't think you were born selfish? We were all born selfish. And the only place you need to look to prove this true is look at any small child. Look at any small child. First word might be mama or dada or baba, but no more than like the first five words that they learn, one of them is going to be this word, mine. Mine. That's mine. That's mine. Um, And you try to take away a toy or a, a pacifier or a blanket or something, and they just get that, no, this is mine. We are born selfish, and God... You know what, we never really grow out of that, do we? Some of us have never really grown out of that toddler phase of, no, this is mine, back off, don't, don't try to take this from me. Giving our money roots out selfishness from our life. That's why God did it. He wants our heart, and this is the best way to have selfishness rooted out like a root canal for our heart. He is talking to us about giving so that our hearts will be more devoted to him. In fact, I think God looks down on us and maybe once in a while sees us like a, like a toddler saying, you keep saying this is mine and mine and mine, and you're selfish, and he might be saying, man, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. So a great example of this, how um, giving shows what's in our heart, is found in Genesis chapter 4. It's the story of Cain and Abel. So there's Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, and now they have two kids, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel have grown up. Now, um, Abel kept the flocks. He was, I guess it would be a shepherd. And Cain worked the soil. He was a farmer. So uh, in, uh, let's see, Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 3 through 5. It says this. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with, looked with favor on Abel's offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's offering? It's not fruit versus animals, It wasn't even an amount. It's not like Cain brought less than Abel and God was more happy with Abel because he gave more. What we learn as a principle of of generosity is that it's not the amount, it's the heart. God, you know, Jesus, we see his teaching in the New Testament. He is pleased when the widow gives the smallest offering versus some of the large offerings that the religious people were offering because he knows it's their heart. So why did he accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? Well, let's look closely at the words there that I just read. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, see if you can tell the difference between that and what comes next. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. 
So that gives us a good idea right there. Cain brought some of the fruits as an offering. And Abel brought the best of the first of the flock. Cain brought some of. It gives the idea of, okay, well, I've got all this stuff. I'll give, some, I'll give God some of the leftovers. And Abel brought, no, this is the firstborn of the flock. This is the best of the firstborn of the flock. I am going to give that to God. It's easy to assume, and of course we know that God sees their hearts, but it's easy to see through this that there was probably some begrudging of God's lordship over, over Cain. Like he was probably begrudging that like a fine, I'll give God just a little bit of an offering. And so this is why, and, and God sees this in our hearts, this is why he rejected Cain's offering and accepted Abel's. We're going to continue reading in verse 6. It says this, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So right there, humanity's off to a great start. We got Adam and Eve, and they messed up the whole garden. Now we have Cain and Abel, the first, you know, two other people in the earth, and one killed the other. So right away, mankind is just, you know, God's probably thinking, wow, they're off to a bang-up start here. Um, those verses, verse 6 through 8, God is clear. God is clear says to Cain, why are you angry? If you do what is right, if you have a right heart, then things are going to go well for you. But if you do not do what is right, now when you're reading that, you probably assume, as I assumed when I was reading it, when, that God was going to say to Cain, if you don't do what is right, then I'm going to reject you. But that's not what God said. God doesn't say, I'll reject you if you don't give a good offering. What he says to him, if you don't do what is right, that sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. Obviously, that was the case in Cain's heart because he was about an afternoon away from killing his brother. What God is saying is this. If you have a selfish heart, if your lack of generosity, if your lack of honoring God is because in your heart there is selfishness, it's an open door for areas of sin and compromise. Think about that. If you're a selfish person, are you going to be tempted to sin financially when it's tax season or in any other business dealing? Yeah, you're going to be tempted to cook the books a bit to serve yourself because you're selfish. Relationally, think about your marriage. If you are a selfish person, does your marriage suffer? Family, your relationship with your kids? What about worship and devotion, coming into a church service? If you're a selfish person, it's going to be really hard for you to worship God because you're only thinking about yourself. This is what God is saying. If you don't do what is right, it's a sign that something's wrong in your heart. And if there's something wrong in your heart, sin is just waiting to take you down. And selfishness in your heart is going to provide that open door for those areas of sin and compromise. If we allow it, selfishness and greed and materialism will own us. And we certainly see that in our world today. This is not just a problem with Cain and Abel. This is, in our world today, so prevalent. It is an idol in our world today. You know, we don't have idols, many idols like they had in the Old Testament where a statue of gold and when you hear the trumpets, you've got to bow down or you're to the statue or you're going to get thrown in the furnace. I mean, you read that through 
throughout the Old Testament, all these nations had statues that they would have idols of their God, and they would worship those statues. We don't have idols in that way, but we have idols in our world, and one is materialism. Certainly we would see that. One is materialism in our world. We see this selfishness and greed in our world today. It is an idol, and it's just plastered on billboards and TV commercials. You can't look anywhere online or television or anywhere without more advertising put in front of your face saying, you need this, you need this product, you need this new car, you'll be happy if you have this. Um, here's what you should be afraid of, and so now you have to buy this to be safe. All these things, it's just plastered in front of our mind, this materialism, if we will get all of these things, then we will be happy and fulfilled, and we bow down to materialism in our world today, and we have to stop bowing to that idol. God wants better things for you he wants you to make him your number one pursuit. It's your heart. God wants your heart. He wants you to be generous in your heart. So um, you might be thinking, okay, well, does God not like money? Am I not supposed to, if I have money, am I just bowing down to the idol of materialism? We're going to look at a story in Matthew. It is, a, it is when Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 Matthew 6, verse 19, says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Again, this is Jesus teaching here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then jump ahead to verse 24. It says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, in some translations of that verse, the word money would be changed to the word mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N, mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Maybe your Bible translation says that. Um, and notice those verses don't say, you can't have God and money. What it's saying is, you can't serve God and serve money. So that word mammon is a Syrian word for riches. And the Assyrian Empire had an idol actually named Mammon. And this idol was the idol of wealth. And there was kind of a really arrogant spirit about this idol. A prideful, arrogant spirit when it came to wealth. The spirit of Mammon would say, if you have money, then you do not need God. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. And his audience, when he was speaking this, um, they would have been familiar with that word mammon, what it represents, this spirit of seeking after and serving wealth. So what Jesus is saying here is not that money is bad. Riches are not bad. It's the love of money. It's the love of riches. It's the elevation of money to a point where it is our God. It is our idol when we live for it, when we seek after it, when we serve it. Because I know people um, who are what we would consider wealthy. They have great financial means. And they are godly, joyful, generous people. They see their resources as a way to bless others. And they are so generous, filled with joy, knowing that God has given them these resources to bless others. I also know people who have very limited 
financial means who are godly and joyful and generous people. And they see what limited resources they have as a way to bless others as well. It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. This is what Jesus is saying. It's the heart. You can't serve God and serve money. So how is your heart? As you're listening to this, how's your heart? Is it generous? Is it selfish? Are you constantly looking to how, how to acquire wealth? Has acquiring wealth elevated to a God status in your life? Is it what you live for? Are you living very, what I would describe as tight-fisted, just grabbing onto things, saying, no, this is mine, like that little toddler. No, mine, I, I got to control it. I can't be generous because I have to control for the sake of financial security or my retirement or whatever it is. And re retirement is not a bad thing, but you're living so tight-fisted. How's that going? Are you, are you joyful? Or are you just living in fear? The idol of materialism would tell you that once you acquire enough stuff, enough wealth, that you will be fulfilled. But it's a lie. It's fake. You know when you'll feel fulfilled and secure and significant and blessed and fully alive? You know when you're going to feel all those things? Is when you realize to the very core of your heart that God is enough. That he alone is the source of your security and identity and significance and blessing. That he is your source. That he is enough. That is the source of true, abundant life. So in every area of your life, whether it's your work and career, your family, your marriage, your involvement at church, especially in the area of money, Let's shift our thinking from that tight-fisted, what can I get for myself, that selfish, it's about me and I'm going to prefer myself and I'm going to get what I can. Let's shift our thinking from that, that what can I get for myself, to what more can I give? Let's have that mentality in every area of our life. What more can I give? How can I be generous? We see this as central to the gospel message. Be people who give. Be people who love your neighbor. Be people who prefer other people who give to the poor. This is our offering to God, a generous heart. It's that story of Cain and Abel. If you bring a right offering to God, this offering of our hearts, then things are going to go well because God blesses the generous heart. So how can you apply that to your life this week? Wherever you are listening to this, whatever situation you're in, you can apply this to your life. And it could start with this. Every time you worry about money, maybe you worry about money all the time. Every time you worry about money, instead, take a moment and thank God for what he has already provided for you. When you worry about money, take a minute and praise God for his faithfulness to you, for his provision. Maybe this week you could put it into practice by just giving something away. Ask God to speak to you about who you could bless with something. Maybe you could start the week and say, God, I'm, I'm going to carry some money with me this week, and I want you to speak to me about somebody I could bless with this, somebody I could give this to. 
if you continue to let selfishness rule in your life, watch out. You're just opening the door to sin and all sorts of trouble. But if we would have a heart of generosity, we would see God bless every area of our life. We would see our hearts acknowledge that God is enough no matter what situation we are in. If we would have that generous heart, we would be fully alive. Let's pursue that generous heart. That heart that is trusting of God, that is peaceful and joyful and God-honoring. It's like being generous is like taking vitamins for your soul. It's like a soul vitamin. Being generous, it helps us. It roots out selfishness from our life. So let's pursue that this week. Let's pursue that this week. I want to encourage you to support your local church, whatever church you are a part of. I want to encourage you to be generous with your time and your finances in other areas of life. Just don't let selfishness take root in your life. Have a heart that is filled with generosity. Let me pray. God, first of all, we thank you that you are the source of everything. You are our provider of everything. So, Lord, we put you as our top priority. We want our hearts to be devoted to you. We want to recognize that you are everything we need because you can provide fulfillment and significance and resources and blessing. You can do all those things. So, Lord, we put you first. We surrender our hearts to you, and we pray that you would bless every area of our life that you would give us that heart of generosity, that you would be near us, that you would continue to provide. I pray for those who are listening to this who are in a financial need right now. Maybe they don't, maybe they're unemployed and they can't find a job or they have a job that is unable to provide for them or their families and they're looking for a better job. I pray that you would open doors as we seek you, as your people, that you would open doors, that you would put us where you want us to be. And ultimately, even when the math doesn't add up, even when the amounts don't add up and it doesn't look like we are going to be able to make it through the month, we trust you. We put our hope and our joy and our trust in you because you do wonders. You can provide in all sorts of ways. So, Lord, we trust you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.